श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जय हरि नाम प्रभु की जय श्री बृहत भगवतामृत की जय बहुत प्रेमानंद सो कंटिन्यूइंग आवर डिस्कशन ऑफ बृहत भगवतामृत वी हर्ड अ लिटिल बिट यस्टरडे इन द लास्ट क्लास अबाउट हाउ कृष्णा experienced the highest limit of love in the form of Lord Chaitanya and that that highest limit of love is eternally embodied in the gopis and so some indication has been given here that that's what this book is about and now in the second verse this idea is continued and emphasized to some extent Sanatana Goswami says, Sri Radhika Prabhrithayo Nitaram Jayanti Gopyo Nitanta Bhagavat Priyata Prasiddha Yasang Haro Parama Sohridha Madurinam Nirvaktum Ishad Apijatu Nakopi Shakta He says, Nitaram Jayanti. In the first verse, he said something similar. Jayati, Jayati, uh, giving praise to Krishna, all glories to Krishna. Here he continues that in relation to the gopis, but he says, Nitaram Jayanti, especially, more so, and even more so. Let the let the be, uh, glorification uh, of the gopis. So their position is more glorious than that of Krishna. And Sri Radhika Prabhrithayo. First amongst them is Sri Radhika. So he's glorifying the gopis. He said they are more glorious than Krishna. Even with more emphasis, he wants to glorify them, and first amongst them, chief amongst them, is Sri Radha. This is, of course, is, this is where all this emphasis is coming from throughout the literature and so forth. Here is found in the original book of the Gaudiyas, Brihat Bhagavatamrita. He says, Gopyo Nitanta Bhagavat Priyata Prasiddha. It is well known, he says, that they are the Lord's dear most devotees. It's a well-known fact. And what we'll find in this book is that so many great devotees are testifying to that effect indirectly by pointing beyond themselves, beyond themselves, beyond themselves. This is how the first part of this book works. The first part of this book is about who uh, gets uh, the most uh, reciprocation from the Lord, who's the chief object of the Lord's mercy. And as we go up the ladder, so to speak, Narada is doing the investigation, examining different modes of devotion and glorifying it, only to be told 
by those whom he glorifies that they have no devotion in comparison to so-and-so. Up the ladder it goes and ends at the gopi's love and and amongst the gopi's love, Radha's love is uh, the supreme expression of Prem. So, although it's well known, he says, it's, it's, a, it's a fact that doesn't need to be supported. He's going to, in this book, gives, give all kinds of support to that. So it may be known amongst the devotees, but a lot of people aren't devotees and they don't know what devotion is and so forth. So he's going to bring the testimony of so many devotees to bear witness on this, uh, this fact so that it will be understood beyond any room for doubt. He says that yasam haru parama sorida madhuriyam nirvaktum ishadopi jatuna kopi shakta. The nature of their love is such that no one can begin to adequately or properly, completely describe the charm of their affection for Sri Hari. It's impossible to describe. The implication is that even Hari himself cannot do justice to it, cannot uh, explain it. And this fact has been brought out by Krishna himself, for that matter. So it's not really debatable, but Krishna himself has, has said so. And in his commentary, Sri Sanatana Goswami Prabhu cites a famous verse from Srimad Bhagavatam, right in the center of the, in the high point of the Bhagavatam, when Krishna's confirming his, his love for the gopis in the midst of the rasa dance, just preceding the rasa dance. You know, it started and then he disappeared and they went and searched for him and then they found him. But while they were searching for him, he was watching them. They were searching for him, he was with Radha. He disappeared from Radha's company. They then, had led by Radha, the search intensified. Then he watched that affair and seeing the intensification of their love for him and separation, he was bewildered. He couldn't say enough about it. All he could say when, when he reappeared in their assembly and was questioned by them as to why he disappeared and, and what was the nature of his, his love. He invited them there and disappeared and so forth and so on. What could he say? having witnessed their love. All he could say is, I, I can't say anything about your love. The idea was given in the previous verse that Krishna loves these gopis such that he never can stop thinking about them. He says in the Gita, As people approach me, I reciprocate accordingly. That's a bit of an understatement actually. Because the fact of the matter is, as people approach Krishna, even as devotees approach Krishna, his capacity to reciprocate is so great that he reciprocates many, many times over or more than would be equal to the way in which he was approached. People offer him their love, 
he reciprocates many times over. And devotees have this experience that what little they do, the reciprocation greatly out, outweighs it, makes it seem insignificant, their labor, what, the, what they may have gone through trying to get his attention. When they get his attention, like Prabhupada used to say, if you take one step towards Krishna, then he takes ten steps towards you. So it's an understatement in the Gita when he says, I reciprocate proportionate to how uh, others approach me. He has such power and capacity to reciprocate. He's the true center. This is what he says in the Gita. What is that verse? That's right. Aham Sarvasya Prabhu. Aham Sarvasya Prabhu. Matasarvam Prabhartate. He said, I'm the Supreme Personality of God. Everything comes from me. I'm the source of everything. It's like the buck stops here. There's nothing, doesn't get any better than this. I'm the center. So, as I've many times said, we need to locate this center if we are to give comprehensively. One of those inebriated philosophers that I met on the, on the airplane was trying to explain to me something about science and, and logic. And I said to him that, that science is a particular way of, of looking at life, lens through which to look at, at life. And um, it brings a, a certain, certain picture that's reasonable in consideration of the method of, of approach, in consideration of the, the lens in which the, through which the world is looked at. But uh, I said it, it doesn't really give a comprehensive picture because it doesn't take uh, into consideration feeling and emotion and, and so forth, other than to make it seem less important than it is. And um, practical experience in human society is that feeling rules over reasoning. And so I was explaining like this to him and the importance of, like I like to say, the common experience that by giving one gets and how this isn't logical, but it's a fact of life. And um, I don't know how well he appreciated it <laughs> at, at the time, but uh, anyway, I was, I was making this kind of not dogmatic, but very practical and universal type of explanation of of bhakti and of of God and so forth, and I told him that like this. I guess he understood to some extent that when when giving you you get. He said yes, and giving giving us is the getting. I said yes, the, you got it right. Uh, I said so, but what what you need to find in order to give perfectly, you need two things. You need to find the perfect center who could, that can take perfectly, completely. If you want to give to something that cannot fully accept, then your capacity to give completely is limited. And on the other side, if your giving is tinged with a motive for, for getting in return, then it also cannot be perfect giving. So I said, one part, on you have two things to do. To purify your giving, live up to what you've said yourself, that giving is the getting, and find the perfect center. And so this is the idea of God then. Like the stomach. If you give to the stomach, then mystically the whole body is is nourished. I think he appreciated 
a little bit. So this is what Krishna is saying, Hamsa Rasya Prabhupada, I'm the center, I'm the perfect taker. We have to locate this uh, center if we are to give completely, comprehensively, and thereby to know, or to be, I mean, to be satisfied. Every action is informed by some kind of knowledge, and every action is in pursuit of perfect happiness. That's why bhakti is the perfect action, bhakti is the perfect, is perfect knowledge. Do you understand? Bhakti is complete knowledge. What is, the, what is the value of knowledge? Only to the extent that it informs action, and what is the value of action? The, the, the result. You know? Bhakti is the perfect action, bhakti is the perfect knowledge, so we don't need karma, we don't need a jnana, any desire for these things, we need bhakti. There, in bhakti, then jnana and karma, knowledge and action, are properly adjusted. Like it is sometimes said, the Ganges flows from a great glacier in the Himalayas down into the Bay of Bengal. And from the mountains, there are other streams that flow. But if they, they have no potential to reach the Bay of Bengal, reach the ocean on themselves. But if they connect at some point with the Ganga, then they can go there. So if Gyan and Karma are harmonized by Bhakti, then they have some value. Actually, Bhakti is the perfect action. Bhakti is perfect knowledge. By Bhakti we become perfectly happy. That means we, we have comprehensive knowing. You have to stand. I said, this is what knowing is about. Knowing how to be happy. That's what we're interested in. We're knowing for a purpose. So gopis may be illiterate, but they know everything. <laughs> this is the idea. They know everything. They are depicted like this, uh, uneducated village girls. The boys in that village are also not educated. They're cowherd people. They don't get an education. They're like uh, country bumpkins, you know. They don't. They just don't. They're just not very sophisticated. They don't. They don't have a big education. They don't know how the how the world, the big world works, the fast world, and so forth. But, but they have perfect knowledge. Do these things do seem contradictory unless we understand that perfect knowledge means what? That knowledge that informs action perfectly. And what is action for? To become happy. We're acting to become happy. So. This is perfect knowledge, to be perfectly happy. Don't have to strain your brain too much to understand every detail. That's not possible. But it is possible to be perfectly happy. And the mystery is, of course, that it comes about just in the opposite way in which, from which you would think. It comes about by giving rather than by taking. By letting go rather than adding on something like that. Of course, we do add something on. Bhakti moves progressively by association, not by detachment. Jnana moves by detachment and bhakti moves by good association. Detachment will come in the context of good association. We lose interest in it. We don't have to give up the thing. We lose interest in the thing. And this is the whole message of gopis. Look at the gopis. What did they do? Did they give up their families? Yes, they met Krishna in the dead of night. But where did they go afterwards? They weren't caught. They could have been caught. They risked everything. But they weren't caught. So they went back home. 
they live with their families, and from there they loved Krishna perfectly. So they didn't give up anything, did they? The whole of Golok, Vrindavan is like this. Everyone's attached to their, they've got their family, their friends, their cows, their houses. And these, you're saying these gopis are the perfect ideal. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was a complete uh, sannyasi, renunciate, but he was worshipping the gopis, who were just um, uh, village girls with uh, families and social obligations and so on and so forth. So you have to put all these these things together. Well, it's not about giving up a thing. It's it's all about the mentality, the consciousness that we have. That's what this whole book is about, as you see as you go through it. It's a study of the, the psychology of each devotee. And increasing, increasing degrees of selflessness. So gopis were completely... They are the, the example of being completely in the world. Samsara kupam. This term is used. They were in the well of material existence. Just completely absorbed. Just like a you know, young girl at the mall or something like that. You know. <laughs> this is what they were like. Completely you know, uninterested in the meaning of life and in things that values that are important and so forth. That's what they were like, ostensibly. But what was the thinking? How it was radically different? How that, that they were completely in love with Krishna. So they had everything, but they didn't leave anything. They had everything, but they had no interest in anything. Only interest in Krishna. You understand? So I would be in the world, but not of the world. This is a very mystical idea. Easier said than done. So they are examples. And about them, in this uh, Rasa dance, as mentioned here by Sanatana Goswami, Krishna himself said these things. He said that, that it's well known that they are the dear most devotees of Krishna. And that the nature of their love for him is indescribable. Indeed, as I mentioned, he himself could not describe it. While he could reciprocate with every devotee in proportion to the love that they offered him. And for that matter, as I say, that's an understatement of the Gita. More than that, approach me a little bit and with a drop of love and he'd drown you. Now, you see, we're trying to understand something about the gopi's love. While he said he can reciprocate equally, the fact of the matter is he could reciprocate many, many times more, greater, than the love that's offered to him. When he came to the standard of the gopis' love for him, he could not reciprocate equally. What to speak of more? They exhausted his capacity to reciprocate. He said, he quotes this famous Bhagavatam verse, Napareham niravajisam dutam. Napareham niravajisam dutam. I'm not able to repay my debt to you. They had questioned him. Sri Radha's assistants had questioned him. He came back now. Oh, you're back. Okay, we've been looking for you. That's true. Our mistress has been looking for you. Now you're back. That's all right. But now before we proceed, there's a couple of questions we'd like to ask you. We'd like to interview you, sir. What kind of lover are you, anyway? 
This is what they ask. What kind of lover are you? Really, in one sense, what they're saying is, we don't think much of your capacity to love. You, you, you boastful fellow, think you're the big connoisseur of love. But really, what do you know about love? And of course, the, he's admitting it here. He's admitting to them. He's bowing his head to them and saying, yes, the kind of love that you, particularly your mistress, has shown, I cannot repay you. What he said in the Gita, they have defeated him here. Now, this is an important point for all of us. We ended our discussion yesterday speaking about the divinity of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And, of course, this is a question that... Uh, people have, sometimes devotees have. Krishna may be God, but not sure about Lord Chaitanya. It's, it's some, some people think like this. Krishna's God, I worship Krishna. Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami says in Chaitanya Charitamrita, those who worship Krishna, but do not worship Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, don't understand Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna. He says, their worship of Krishna is meaningless. He says it worse than that. He says it's it's demonic. Now, this sounds like a pretty strong statement, but it's not strong. It's a strong statement, but it's it, it's very true. Worship of Krishna, independent of the worship of Lord Chaitanya, it's it's absolutely meaningless, meaningless. Krishna is not attracted to that at all, because Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna, and what aspect of Krishna? The very essence of Krishna. This is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Now there may be verse here or there about that we can say that's about Lord Chaitanya, that one's about Lord Chaitanya. People go, really? Right there in the middle of you know, Prahlad's just talking about different avatars and you're saying this one's about Lord Chaitanya and this about Yuga Avatar and you're saying it's about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Okay, even if I accept that the Chaitanya is the Yuga Avatar, like Sridhar Maharaj was saying this morning, and the Avatar of Shiradakshai Vishnu for the different Yugas, uh, this is what, if we even if we say, okay, Karabhajana Rishi in 11th canto of Simad Bhagavatam speaking to Maharaj Nimi speaks about the Kali Yuga Avatar. Fine. Okay. But that doesn't make him Krishna and all the other fancy things that you talk about, about uh, Militatanu two tanu bodies merging, Radha and Krishna, Sri Krishna Chaitanya, Radha, Krishna, Nahayanya, the two becoming one, all this fancy word jugglery, <laughs> internal reasons, all these things, fabricated ideas. Where is this in the scripture? Where is all this? All you Gaudiya people just made this up. No, 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 you don't understand. <laughs> you haven't read Srimad Bhagavatam. This is all that Srimad Bhagavatam is about. Go into Srimad Bhagavatam deeply. This is what you find. Chaitanya, Chaitanya, Chaitanya. That's what it's about. It's the only subject of Srimad Bhagavatam. Read it, read it again, read it again and again and again. Mahuraho Rasika Bhuvi Bhavuka. Pibata Bhagavatam Rasamalayam. Mahuraho Rasika Bhuvi Bhavuka. Read it and pass out when you realize that's what it said. Get up and then read it again. Drink from it again. Again, pass out. Krishna is Kanasura of love. Right? Everyone will accept. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Krishna is the connoisseur of love. Yes, this is what this, this feature of divinity personifies. So, what, what is the nature of a connoisseur of love then? A connoisseur of love 
is pressed by its very nature to taste all forms of love. And what would be his goal in life? To taste the highest love. That's what he's driven by. So if this is Krishna, Rasaraj, he's, this is what's motivating his whole life. That's what he is. The connoisseur of love. So he's driven by the necessity of his own nature to taste the highest love. So what will happen then if he, by chance, witnesses a love that exceeds anything that he has experience of? And that's what he's saying here in this verse of Bhagavat that Sanatana Goswami has cited to affirm his point, to serve as evidence to his point that Krishna, his point being that Krishna, even Krishna cannot understand, adequately describe the nature of that gopi's love. While he can reciprocate for other devotees' love, therefore he understands it, obviously. He can reciprocate equally or more. He cannot reciprocate even equally. What to speak of more? That's no question. He cannot equally reciprocate in kind the love by which the gopis have approached him. He says that this is right in Bhagavatam, right in the in the heart of the Bhagavatam. So you can understand this. What have you understood about Krishna? And the point being this: what if he is then uh, witnesses such love that exceeds anything he's experienced? He has to taste that. He has to figure out how to taste that. You see, these Gaudiya people, they have understood Krishna. That's why they worship Lord Chaitanya. Well, it's not kind of any artificial imposition. They just made up some Bengali fellow that they like to be God and call him Krishna because they're Bengalis or something like that. They could understand it. They understood such a person must exist somewhere. So we're not just citing some verses here, you know, there's the Vayu Purana says this, and people say, well, that's not in any present uh, edition of the Vayu Purana, that, uh, you know, Bhagavan will take birth in Navadvipa, the son of Sachi, and, and, so we don't accept that verse. Well, and there's this verse. Yeah, that could be interpreted this way. Or there's that verse. That could be interpreted another way. And Sri Raswami, your, your own commentator who you like so much, that Mahaprabhu prays, he didn't interpret that verse in that way. So forget all this. It's all academic. Let's speak about the logic of love. How about that? Something real you know, close to home. Let's explore that. Now, Krishna is a lover. In, in true sense of the term, I mean, he's a playboy. He's just living to love. That's all he does. This is his occupation. So, again, if he meets a love that exceeds anything he has experience of, he'll be driven to taste that. He'll have to figure out a way. Now, the fact of the matter is, he cannot experience that love in his position. Because what is his position? His position is that he is the object of that love. The gopis are the shelter of that love, and he's the object of, of that love in relation to which they're experiencing it. So he can't stay in that position and experience that. He has to take their position. He has to become the Ashraya Lambana. Now he's the Vishaya Lambana, the object of the love. He has to become the shelter of that love. And of course, what devotee is going to agree to let the object of their love disappear? <laughs> no, no devotee is going to go along with that, least of all Radharani. 
He's the object of, of her love. She's not going to trade positions with him. That would be uh, inequitable, or you say, uh, wouldn't be a fair trade. <laughs> the measure of his love doesn't compare to hers for him. So he is in a bind, but possessed as he is, of his own nature, he has to taste that. So, you know, it's a sleight of hand. It's it's really more than that. It's a grand larceny. He steals it. He steals that love. And then, of course, as I said, the thief has to hide. That's what he does. So, then you have what do you have? Sanatana Goswami is looking for him. He's one of those gopis. He's appeared in the world. He doesn't even know why. This is Leela. Krishna is going to come as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. That means as a devotee, pursuing the mood of Radha, taking her form. So, all of his associates and, and, and all gopis, all they have to come. So they come. This is Leela. Then he grows up, Sanatana Goswami, as a studier of the Bhagavatam. He understands this point, so he's looking through it. He understands, oh, Krishna's a lover. Radha's love exceeds his love. He experiences that. He wants to, he has to want to experience that. How can he do that? He can't do that by remaining in his position. He has to become a devotee. So who is that devotee? Who is Krishna? And so we look through the scripture like this, for that. What would be the description of him? You see, that kind of understanding allows the Bhagavad to speak to him in a way that it wouldn't speak to anyone else. And see the verse, oh, here, here he is. This is him right here. Here the Bhagavad is speaking about him. And somebody say, well, that just, how do you take that out of context? That seemed to be saying this over here. And No, you have to understand the, what the whole Bhagavad revolves around. At least we have our verses of tattva that it revolves around. This is the bhava that it revolves around. The ecstasy that it revolves around. This is the high point of that. It's all building up to that. Krishna's seeing the, the measure of Radha's love and being dumbfounded by that. It's all leading up to that. And afterwards, all pointing back to that. This is the center of the whole book. And he just dove right in there. Sanatana Goswami. Deeply. He understood... This Krishna, he's, he's got to be somewhere. Somewhere he's appearing as a devotee. Now, what a wonderful thing to find him. Especially for aspiring devotees. As we talked the other night, who want to learn how to be devotees. He's going to show the way. Oh, goodness. Let me find him. Therefore, he found these kinds of verses and so forth. So, idea is this then. Again, worship of Krishna, independent of the worship of, of Gaur, meaningless. What kind of worship would that be? You're denying this whole aspect of himself. This is what he's what he what makes him tick, what he's all about. Therefore this language is used in Srimad Bhagavatam, Sumedasa. Who worship Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Very fine, as Sudharmarsh explained it, theistic intelligence. Very subtle kind of capacity to of, of divine type of intelligence to, to understand the heart the mind of God have some inkling into that that will make sense to you yes you, this is very special you have this from Sukriti coming over lifetimes now it's coming to the surface in the form of 
faith and these kind of talks of nourishing that faith. This is an inkling in you that has brought you here. We're explaining that to you. This is what you're about, actually. That's why you're really here. You're all part of this. <laughs> this is who you are. You're a player in this. He's come for you. He's come for you. He's sent his representative for you. He's already tagged you. This is what you're about. He's got your number. He's not letting you get away. We have so many other ideas of what our life is about. Through the Guru Parampara, Mahaprabhu is coming telling you, this is what you're about. See how special it is. Makes everything pale in comparison and, be, and seem insignificant, meaningless. Just music in the background that you can turn off, for that matter. It becomes annoying at a certain point. Turn it off. This is the life of life. The life of God, the love life of God. We'd be invited to participate in that, in that intimate circle. That kind of love that is in... We're having trouble. That's what this verse says. Having trouble explaining this. It's not possible to do justice to it, what it is. God himself, Hari himself, cannot understand it. But in his attempt to understand it, appearing as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, blessed as he is in that incarnation, ultimately, by the gopis, some understanding is coming. And then these gopis themselves, like Rup Sanatana, they're trying to give some explanation of it and so forth. So in this way, here, in the second verse, he puts emphasis on it specifically. Last verse was a little indirectly, but now specifically. And he's telling us, this is what this book is about. It's about two things. The, the highest love, who is the, the most perfect uh, recipient of Krishna's mercy and love? This is the gopis, who have made him a debtor. If we take that verse of the Gita that I quoted, Yeyatamam prapadyante tam sataiva bhajamiham, 11th verse of the 4th chapter, Krishna says, Though, as they approach me, I reciprocate accordingly. If we play this verse out fully, what do we get? We get Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. That's the idea. In other words, if you, you're supposed to take the, the verses to heart, right? Not just supposed to keep them in your head, memorize them and regurgitate them, you know, to make yourself look important to other people who don't know otherwise. No, you're supposed to take them to heart. So if you take this verse to heart, it means you take him up on that. And then it's well known that the gopis are the, are the greatest lovers of Krishna, so you pursue a love like theirs of those gopi people. And what do you find there? You find Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. That's what comes out of it. So if you play that verse out, I mean, if you take it to heart fully, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu appears. See how the Gaudias will read these scriptures. It sounds on its face like, what are you talking about? This is, these guys got these interpretations of the verses that are really a stretch sometimes. Hmm? It's not a stretch at all. This is, this is uh, understood with real uh, feeling for who Krishna is. This is what the go. No one, no one glorifies Krishna like Gaudiya Vaishnavas. No one has such wonderful things to say about him. 
then and because they know him better. So here he has emphasized directly the gopis' love, and amongst them, Radha's love in particular, he says that he's saying this is what this book is really about. It's a well-known fact that their love is the greatest. It's indescribable at the same time. So this then leaves a question. If it's indescribable, then what are we doing here? <laughs> Why are we talking about this? Why the book? And so you're writing a book and saying, this book is about something that can't be described. Well, then why are we going on with it? Why are we even writing it? Hmm? Can't say enough about it. Yeah, you, you, that's true. You can't say enough about it. But he, but his answer really is was indicated in the first verse. And now in the third verse that we'll go to, he comes out more directly and makes the point. It can't be understood, but Swadoita Nijabhavam Yo Bibhavya Sabhavat Su Maduram Abhatino Bhakturupena Lophat Jayati Kanaka Dhamma Krishna Chaitanya Nama Harir Iha Yativesha Shri Satishunurehesha Realizing that the ecstasy of his beloved devotees is even sweeter than his own. Out of greed, Krishna descended in this world in the form of his own devotee, dressed as a yati, a renunciate, golden in effulgence. He bears the name Sri Krishna Chaitanya. All glories to that Lord Hari, who has appeared as the son of Mother Sachi. So, with this verse, he's basically answering the, the question. He says, it's not understandable, but if it were to be understandable at all, this would be the way. Through Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Through Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, that is how Krishna tried to experience it. And he was somewhat successful. And in the course of pursuing that, and trying to be successful in experiencing that love, it's overflowing and the access to it has been made to everyone. It means Mahabodhanyaya. This is a kind of madness Krishna has lost it here, and so he's gone mad. Radha's prem has made him a madman. And before you see these symptoms of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we couldn't keep it together. Standing, falling on the ground, singing, dancing, laughing, crying at the same time, and ex extraordinary symptoms of ecstasy. They couldn't contain that, that prem. And so when you can't contain it, what happens? It means it overflows. So, this is the wonderful thing. When Krishna tries to experience that, it goes out everywhere. And everyone gets the chance to experience it. You can't describe it, but at least you can experience it. You can't say enough about it. You can't put it in words, but you, but you can taste it. This is very extraordinary. The thing that Bhagwan himself, Swami Bhagavan himself, can't describe, can't reciprocate in kind with doesn't have the experience of has to um, has to become a thief to steal it unbecoming as it may be that thing becomes available to anybody and everybody now this is in the religious world in the theological world this is extraordinary bit of uh, information this is what devotees like Sanatana Goswami, Rupa Goswami, they really, I mean, we're talking about, they really understood this. And it just 
that's it. They couldn't. They couldn't do anything else. They had to just give their whole life to trying to make this available. It's like, you know, you you know, there's some secret thing about the government that's just going to change the whole world. You know, they make movies like that. And this guy just he found out his whole life is like, you know, despite any obstacle, whatever it is, he's got to let the people know, get the word out. This is what they're like. They've got to let just let people know. They're ready to just grab you by the ears and by the throat. Listen, who is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? I think they're a little fanatical, a little bit overzealous. <laughs> of course, people are doing that without understanding <laughs> what it's really about. That's another thing. But these Goswamis, they were like that. They went mad. This is how the, and see how the madness expressed itself. Hmm? It's divine madness. It came out in such a beautiful form of these literatures explaining these things as best they could. So this is the idea that Sri Krishna becomes Sri Krishna Chaitanya. So all glories to that Lord Hari who has appeared as the son of Mother Sachi. In his commentary on this verse, Sanatha Goswami says something interesting. He quotes a verse of Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya so he's really trying to bring this point home of who is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He's really saying this is what, the, as much as you say that this book is about Radha's love for Krishna and the place that, that corresponds with that, this book is about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This book is the essence of Srimad Bhagavatam. That is what Srimad Bhagavatam is about. It's all about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And so, in trying to make this point, he quotes a verse of Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya. But the charger, you know, wrote about a hundred verses in praise of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Only a few of them are still uh, available. But uh, I think it might be mentioned in, in Chaitanya Charitamrita even that he wrote a hundred verses in praise of, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu after he was converted. And the verse he quotes here, Kalanashtan Bhakti Yogam Nijamya Pradush Kartum Krishna Chaitanya Nama Avir Bhutas Tasya Paladavinde Gadham, Gadham, Liyatam, Chittabringa. Sarvama said, Let my consciousness, which is like a honeybee, take shelter of the lotus feet of the Supreme Lord, who has just now appeared as Sri Krishna Chaitanya, to teach the ancient system of bhakti rendered unto himself. This system had almost been lost due to the influence of time. So he's chosen this verse to cite a verse of Sarvabhama Bhattacharya, which speaks about the gift of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the blessing of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance, what the blessing of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance constitutes. And it's interesting that he, he chose someone like, like Sarvabhama Bhattacharya because Sarvabhama was a convert. He's not uh, identified uh, with the uh, eternal associates of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Maybe he's identified by Kabhikarnapur with somebody like or something like that, rather than it was somebody from Goloka. So we find people like this in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, like Raj Prataparudra in Puri and Sarvambhattacharya. Sarvambhattacharya was actually from Nadia. So one of his, the reasons we can say that he's quoted Sarvam of, of all people, he could have quoted so many people, Sarvam was like a newcomer. He's a convert coming to this. So people, he's not like one of his own. 
Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's own, so to speak. So he's taking an outsider who's come to that side. That will have more force amongst the people who's, who have some doubt still. After all, she was with them. Now she's with us. Now she's going to speak to them. They will listen to her more than they listen to me. <laughs> she's saying it. She's one of us. This is the idea. So with this in mind, he's quoted Sarvam Bhattacharya. And also the fact that Sarvam Bhattacharya was a very smart fellow. He was a logician, a Vedantist, an extremely sober person. But the charge of Sarvabhoma was uh, hailed from Nadia, from Navadweep, actually. And at the time, the center of logic was a place called Matila. And uh, uh, there, that Navanyaya that came to dominate Navadweep, it's called New Logic, actually had its birth in Matila and replaced what then be called the called the prachin nyaya, the old form of logic. So this logic nyaya is a, is a whole school of thought, very 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 dry stuff, really tedious kind of thinking and whatnot, exercise of the intellect. And um, then there was a fellow named maybe Gangesh or something like that in the 13th century who wrote a book called Tattvachintamani. A book of logic and this book caused this like dynamic shift from the old type of logic to the new school of logic Nabunyaya and there was well, the seat was there in Matila and so they kept this Tattva Chintamani the pundits there and they never gave any copies out so that people would have to come to Matila to learn Nabunyaya and then they'd have to go away with well, whatever they could remember of it and then Matila would remain the seat of, of learning in India. So they wanted this kind of prestige for their town, and so this was their system. So now you try to understand who Sarabon Bhattacharya is. He came there from Navadweep to learn. He learned Tattva Chintamani there. He memorized the whole book, took it to Navadweep, taught it in Navadweep, and Navadweep became the center of Navanyaya. And Matila's fame was retired on account of the teaching of Sarvabhoma and one Raghunath who became his disciple. Raghunath Shiromani became the disciple of Sarvabhoma and he excelled Sarvabhoma then in Nyaya. And Sarvabhoma then went to Puri where he began to teach. That Raghunath was once riding on a boat across the Ganges with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Nimai Pandit, the young scholar. And Nimai Pandit was writing a little something, a little little notebook. And Raghunath said, what are you writing there? And Nimai Pandit said, oh, I've written a book on Nyaya. He was a student also, just a student. And so Raghunath had written a book, a whole book on Nyaya. And here Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was writing one. So he said, could I see that book? So Mahaprabhu said, sure. Showed him the book. And Raghunath, this is the disciple of Sarvabhoma, he read that book, he began to cry. Big tears began to roll down his cheeks. And Mahaprabhu said, Nimai Pandit said, Why are you crying, Raghunath? Such a sober person like you, reading a book of logic is making him cry? 
And he said, yes, he said, because I've written a book about logic, and I'm the best student of Sarabon Bhattacharya, and I wanted that my book of logic would be famous all over the world. That was my aspiration, that I would, you know, that I'd be the perfect student in my school of thought. But reading your book, I, 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 my book is useless. And Mahaprabhu said, oh, here, give it to me. And he threw it in the water. He said, okay, don't cry. Threw it in the Ganges. And that's a fact. Raghunath's book is called Diditi. It became famous all over India. <laughs> As the most famous book of, of Nyaya. Mahaprabhu said, oh, okay, that's okay. Let your desire be fulfilled. Threw his book out. Nimai Pandit Kijai. So the, his teacher then, Sarvam Bhattacharya, he became converted to bhakti when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to Puri. He wrote this verse that Sanatana Goswami is, is citing here. He's a newcomer, and coming from a very uh, well-thought-out, sober group of people. And like a madman, he's writing poems extolling the glories of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And this, he's bringing the greatest gift to the world that anyone has ever seen, and it's ancient. You know, it's not a new thing, but he's bringing it to light in a way that it's never been seen before in Kali Yuga and giving it to anyone and everyone. This is inconceivable. He's writing verses like this and acting as he did after his conversion on the part of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu like a, like a madman himself, like a child, frivolous. And, and he was like, used to teach sannyasis, really sober, sober fellow. Mahaprabhu measured his conversion on different occasions to test to see just how far he had, had taken him over the top. And he was satisfied, <laughs> Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, that he had done a good job with Sarabhama Bhattacharya. This, this is the kind of thing, then, what it, like I said the other night, which sent ripples across India, waves. Like This 24-year-old boy has converted Sarabhama Bhattacharya to his chanting and dancing, his, his religion. So the point is here, this is a well-thought-out, well-reasoned conclusion. People think it's just some, sometimes they think even other sampradayas who haven't investigated it thoroughly, haven't really studied the text of the Gaudias. They think it's some Bengali religion and those Bengalis are a little fanatical. You know, Like I say, they picked one amongst themselves and started to call him Krishna and, and emphasized the Shakti in this way or, and so to, a, to such an extreme. We don't even know if it's Vedic. Well, it's not, really, practically. This is the point. It, therefore, Sutibir Vibhagyam. In the previous verse, it was said, this gopi's love, it can't, it, it can't be described. Who tried to describe it? You want to talk about the Vedas? Go to Uddhava. He's Vedavit. This guy in, in, in Dwarka is advising Krishna. And all of his advice will be drawn from the diverse scriptures. He's a pundit for Krishna. I mean, Krishna's own pundit who in Dwarka would advise him. Krishna wanted to give him a piece of advice. I know you're always advising me, giving me such good counsel. I appreciate it. I wouldn't make a move without you. But there's one thing I need, and I wonder if you could do it for me. I've got this note. I know it's not a big thing. For a pundit like you, a learned person, it's almost unbecoming to ask, but I haven't got anyone else I can rely upon here in Dwarka for this. Could you take this note and deliver it to the, my friends back in Vrindavan, to the gopis? He wrote a short note. Uddhava Sandesh. 
Rupa Goswami has written a book, a book about that note. What's in that note? Uddhava Sandesh. Instructions to Uddhava. Something like that. Okay, he loved Krishna. He delivered the note to the gopis. The gopis read the note. They explained their understanding of it. Uddhava saw them, saw their love for Krishna and he was just dumbfounded. He wandered around Vrindavan for a couple of months just singing a couple of poems, glorifying them. One or two verses that appear in the Bhagavatam. One of which says like this. He's praying, oh, if I could be a clump of uh, dust here, a blade of grass here in this place where the gopis would step on me, that would be good for me. Their love... I, and there's nothing like this in the Vedas. The Vedas just can't do justice to this thing. And I'm a Veda bit. I know the Vedas inside out and, and, and backwards. Vedeshu dulabham, adulabham atma bhakti. What they have can't be got by studying the Vedas, by being a learned person. It's indescribable. This is Uddhava's own experience. Why Krishna sent him there? For us. He sent his own pundit to get this experience. So his own pundit would become like a babbling kind of fool in, in Vrindavan, singing songs about this love, trying, thinking how he could adequately describe it. What is that love? What did Brahma say? You know, Brahma had some experience of the love of the people of Vrindavan. He came there, made some slight disturbance. Then he backed off from that and thought about it, paid obeisance to Krishna, offered so many prayers. He said, what is Krishna going to do? How can Krishna reciprocate for this kind of love? He said, Putana came, dressed herself like a gopi, and Krishna gave her Brajbhakti, like a motherly gopi. These people are actually gopis. <laughs> What's he going to give them? What's left? What can he give them? He said, really, any of these gopi people, the young boys, the elders, and so forth, the friends of Krishna, his servants, all living in the brush, what can Krishna give them? This is what Brahma thought. He had four heads. He thought, what can he possibly, how can he reciprocate? What, what they've got is just like, that's it. doesn't get any better than this. He's become a plaything in their hands. They've completely, they've got him completely. They've got everything about him. Therefore, where is Krishna? This is the point. Huh? He's in the heart of such devotees. That's where to go. <laughs> That's where you can find him. We should attach ourselves to such a devotee. That's where we'll find Krishna. This is the whole message of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu also. So in this way, Sanatana Goswami has uh, introduced the first part of his book, what it's about. And now in the next few verses, he will describe something about the second part of his book. This is all in the context of his Mangala Charn, what that's about. Like I said, it's about two things, the perfect love and the place that corresponds with it. Any question? I was thinking in the beginning you were talking about how the gopis in a way didn't give up their family lives. It reminded me of the, the Gita verse. And I was thinking, because Krishna says to give up all your duties. 
So in what way should we see that the Dharma that it means means to give up attachment to those duties. That's what giving it up means. Then you've really given it up. If you can be in the midst of it and be unattached to it, then you've given it up, right? It means not just that you run away from it. Give up attachment to it. That's what giving up means. That's the secret. Of course, it may be helpful in the beginning to do that, to get away from some of those things. <laughs> to get in another environment and so forth. As I say, Bhairagya is it's a byproduct of bhakti. It won't help bhakti. Maybe a little bit, Rupa Goswami says, in the beginning, a little knowledge in the Bhairagya may be helpful. But bhakti is proceeds by association, by good association. It's contagious, by sangha. Gyan, that proceeds by, by detachment. Vasudeva Bhagavati Bhakti Yoga Prayojita Janayati Ashu Vairagyam Gyanam Chayadavaitakam Knowledge and Vairagya there come along with Bhakti. That will come also. He's going to glorify Bhakti Devi. We'll see what is the position of Bhakti in relation to Mukti, knowledge and renunciation and so forth. So that is again a whole emphasis of Rupa Goswami that was so much uh, trumpeted by Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, Yukta Vairagyam, Pujala Raghapata, we spoke about this, Gaurava Bhange, Matala Harijanak Vishayarange. They're beggars, but they're spending more money than rich people. Like, I mean, if a rich person has lots of lots of money, and then he just spends it on clothes and jewelry and fine food and so forth. You think, well, there's some better ways he could have spent the money philanthropically, perhaps, making some contribution to the world. And this is what the Godi people are doing, the beggars. They're getting money from so many people and spending it like anything on fine food and dress and ornaments and jewelry, (laughs) building a palace for Krishna. And they're living in the palace themselves. <laughs> so to use everything in the world for Krishna's service, but don't be used by everything in the world in the name of Krishna's service. That you have to be careful about. What else? Any other? Yes. Why did Krishna speak to Yeha Mahapadya Proverse when he already had the experience of the gopis? Well, he was speaking to the general public. That's the general rule. The gopis, they're the exception. So he gave out the general rule. didn't want to tell everybody. That is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's position. <laughs> As Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he would do that. That's the general norm. Krishna's putting it out. Test me and see. And most people are, you know, not up to the challenge. <laughs> a little devotion for Krishna. They get a little something back, they're happy with that. They're satisfied. What else? Yes? Did copies actually ever feel this um, need to be loved and the need to be uh, accepted themselves? They feel the need to be loved and accepted? Yes, they always feel it. That's the nature of that romantic love. They're always wondering whether Krishna really loves them, even though he does, fully. 
they're always wondering. They have some doubt about his love. Just like a young girl in love with a young man, or a young man in love with a young girl, well, there'll always be some doubt. You still love me, or how do you feel about that? Or is everything okay? <laughs> so that's the nature of that. Of course, it's spiritual. That's another thing. It's fulfilled, but fulfilling, and well, it has this psychology to it, nonetheless. Radharani may doubt Krishna's love. That becomes a problem then. After all, he acts in ways as if it may appear otherwise. That's to just to bring out different sentiments and so forth. So, you study then, in the beginning, of course, they all fall in love with Krishna without even seeing him, just hearing about him, hearing his name. In the Prakat Lila, the manifest Lila, they all fall in love with him. They all want to marry him. They don't know if he loves them. They wonder. And then there's that incident where he stole their clothes on the banks of the Jamuna when they were bathing. And why were they bathing? Every day they were going in, in the winter month, Agrahayana, winter month, bathing, great austerity. They would leave their clothes on the shore and bathe in the sacred Jamuna and worship the goddess Katyayani because they wanted to get Krishna as their husband. But that was the kind of vow for getting someone as your husband. So they all went, they all had the same ambition. They didn't know. He liked them. Then he came and stole the clothes. At that time, he said, he, in effect, kind of married them because it was such invaded culture that if you see a, a girl naked, then you have to marry her. <laughs> so, so Krishna, at that time, he said, you know, I, yeah, I, I kind of feel this way about you too. And later on, we'll, this, we'll consummate this. That's the Rasa dance. Then it's all consummated. But it's a whole wonderful intrigue and a love affair that uh, builds up and builds up and and reaches that point in, in Rasa Leela where it's it's actually put on from their lips and spoken and it's announced so to speak but still has to be kept secret so because that's kept secret given the nature of the society and so forth it, it, it's still filled with doubts and all those you know love is a very dynamic thing you cannot rest until you find love and when you find it then you're on the move again in another way, right? Like a roller coaster ride. So it's not static, it's dynamic. So it has all of like what you experience in ordinary material love. Same kind of psychology. Does that help? This is a very, you know, different idea than ordinary idea of love of God, isn't it? But if you think about it, you see it well, it's then it's full everything about love, not just a limited love of in reverence, but everything that that's there in the intoxicating affair of love is there in divinity when love is expressed in relation to Krishna, especially with this romantic love. Anything else? All right, we'll stop there. Sri Brihad Bhagavatam, Ki Jai, Sanatana Goswami, Prabhupada Ki Jai. Guru Vaishnav Guru Parampara.